Today on Let's Talk VoiceOver with BT and Randy Ryan, Jackie Sladek, head of studio at Side LA, joins in on the fun. Jackie talks about so many dudes succeeding in the male-dominated world of audio production, adapting to working cultures of companies from outside of the U.S., and advice for voice actors on building a business without being annoying. So settle in, my friends, and let's talk voiceover. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Jackie Sladek is the head of studio at Side LA, located in Marina Del Rey, a fabulous part of Los Angeles. With almost two decades of experience in audio and dialogue for video games and localization projects, including voice casting, project coordination, dialogue coordination, and now head of studio, Jackie brings her perspective to our show today. So let's talk voiceover, Jackie Sladek. Hello. Hi, Jackie. So lovely to hear your voice. Aw, it's lovely to hear your voice, too. We don't, we don't get to see each other all that frequently, so most of my connection to you, Randy, is just by your voice. <laughs> now, you guys have worked together for a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think the first project that we worked on together, I was at Sony. I think we had connected prior to actually being able to work together. Um, and when we finally did get a chance to work together, uh, it was remotely over Skype, and then I randomly got a case of shingles and had oh, to that's right. I forgot <laughs> I about be that. there for the recording. So the one time we got to truly work together, I was absent. So Yeah. How'd you get your first gig? Well, um, shingles, actually. <laughs> yeah, <that's it. laughs> uh, nothing like sharing a little medical history. Uh, with, a little with TMI, but that's TMI. okay. It's all fun. It's all fun yeah. and games. So, uh, Midwesterner, much like Randall and myself, I, I was born in Chicago, grew up in Indianapolis. Randall was born in, where were you born, Randy? Uh, downstate Illinois, Decatur. But oh. you know, my, my family was okay. all, well, half the family was in um, Central Illinois and the rest was up in Chicago. So, And Jackie, you're Ohio? I am Ohio. Uh, born in Dayton, grew up in Canton, school in Cincinnati. Go Bearcats. Go Bearcats. You're like my brother. You went to UC and yet you root for Ohio State. I was brought home from the hospital in an Ohio State onesie. I don't think I really had a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. My oldest son was born at the IU Med Center. Yeah, his fate was kind of set. Yeah. Yeah. He could rebel against his father, though. Uh, and he does quite oh, often, actually. <laughs> but that's a whole nother show. I think that's yeah. uh, let's talk psychology. Um, <laughs> oh, you don't think there's a psychology to voiceover? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. Usually starts with, I'm not your shrink, do the monster. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, how did you actually move from Cincinnati into. Um, first of all, the video game industry, and second of all, Los Angeles. What, what was the whole transition process for you? Well, I was, um, as a, oh, what was I? I guess I was a senior at University of Cincinnati getting my Bachelor of Fine Arts in Electronic Media, whatever that means. I applied for a scholarship that was initially a scholarship to take me to the Aspen Music Festival. Uh, it was basically an internship to record live music at the Aspen Music School. And a good, I don't know, couple of weeks before the the awards were sort of announced, I got a, called into the office where they said, 
okay, do you want to go to Aspen or do you want to go to L.A.? Because we got a new one in, we got a new award in, and we'd like to give it to you, but we want to know which is your preference. And after I was done giggling and jumping around, (laughs) I emphatically said I wanted to go to L.A. So I wound up in a six-week internship uh, that was split between Sound Deluxe Design Music Group and Todd Ao, two big audio powerhouses in L.A., Mm-hmm. I've spent the first three weeks at Sound Deluxe, and that was a now-defunct company that specialized in voiceover for games, commercials, and uh, live entertainment, so like museums and libraries. and Yeah, they were a huge voiceover studio oh, yeah. back yeah. in the day. And they've, they've morphed now. They've basically um, died and were reborn as Formosa Interactive, uh, and a lot of the same amazing people work there. I didn't know that, huh? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I I spent three weeks there, and I was doing note-taking in voiceover sessions. So basically just sitting in and notating if they took the, you know, A, B, or C take. And uh, those first sessions I was in on were Resident Evil 4, and there was a Splinter Cell game, I believe. And I got to meet a lot of the voice directors who do a lot of video game stuff. And I fell pretty hard. I fell head over heels for the actors, the engineers, the process, the whole thing. It just, I had never seen anything like it. And everyone was kind and everyone was interesting and interested in creating. And it wasn't the same as the brief stints I'd had at, you know, music recording studios where everyone was grumpy and tired and and all that good stuff. So, So I spent three weeks there and then... I was reassigned to Todd A.O., which was mixed laybacks and stuff like that. And I ended up working on the phones for several hours a day, not really being all that exposed to the audio part of things. Like the interns there were more like answering phones and just being available if somebody needed more Cheetos on stage B or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) You learn so much when you deliver Cheetos. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's value in those jobs. There's no doubt. But at the same time, I was jones in to go back so i begged my parents to front me the money to stay an extra week in a hotel in hollywood so that i could offer my services for one final week to sound deluxe because i wanted so badly to work there and i wanted to give them another opportunity to see that i was a worthwhile investment so they did and i stayed at the horrible holiday inn i think it is or best western on highland just above hollywood and highland Oh, awful. I know that. Oh, God. Yeah. And that's the best part, right? Everybody who's not from Los Angeles goes, I'm going to stay in Hollywood. Oh <laughs> Good luck to you. Don't Good do luck. it. luck. Don't do it. So I stayed there. I basically went back to uh, Amanda Wyatt, who is my boss, who is now a, a prolific voice director and amazing person. And I said, can I please, please, please come back and just do one more week? Whatever you need me to do, I'll be, I'm yours. And she said, okay. So I did that. Then I went back to school, finished my last quarter, and uh, I was skipping school one day <laughs> to dye my hair or something like that. And I got a phone call from Becky Allen, also an amazing audio person in the games industry. Uh, I believe she's at PopCap now. A call from Becky Allen that said, if you can get here by January 3rd, we have a job for you. Wow. So that's what I did. I graduated at the end of December or finished my last project at the end of December, packed up the U-Haul, drove across the country and started work on January 3rd. What did you start doing? I was a, a voiceover coordinator, which mm-hmm. at the time 
I mean, it was very much a sort of a producery job, but it was a here's what here's what needs to get done. Figure out when the actors are available. Make sure the director gets the script ahead of time. And in that days, it, it often meant like by courier to their house because this was there were still oh, some sure. uh, some directors who yeah. weren't using email yet on on the regular because this oh, was wow. 2004, I think. Yeah. Well, you know that so, email thing; it's not safe. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And now it's everything. Sure. That's my right. entire job is staring at my email inbox. So it's interesting that, that Becky was was there when you were there. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking coming up on 14 years ago, and you would go to shows, you would go to studios, uh, and outside of people in marketing or people who were working the front desk, you just never saw any any women in this. I mean, that was one of the things when I when I met you. It's like, yeah. oh my God, it's a woman in audio that actually <laughs> you know has, is in a position of some authority, <laughs> like. You know, where'd you come from? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And I credit a lot of that to Amanda because Amanda Wyatt made the decision to hire me. And at that time, Soundalux, actually, the the whole front office of Soundalux was mostly women. So it was Becky, Amanda, myself, uh, and we had an administrator, two administrators. Anyway, so the the vast majority of us were women and then almost exclusively the sound designers were, were men with one exception. That was Glenna Gramala who is still a, an amazing film sound effects editor and, and mixer, and she's outstanding and I'm grateful to know her. But it is amazing that I got exposed to women in the place of authority when I was first starting out. And at least to me then, I got that to be normal mm-hmm. for me, so that when I was then later in other places where that was not the case, it wasn't, you know, that that seemed wrong. It was weird not to see women calling the shots. When did you kind of notice for the first time, like, oh, this is, you know, what you were, your situation is not what the the industry normal is? I think I I figured it out a little bit with the clients that we had coming in at Soundalux because they were almost exclusively men as well. Mm -hmm. So the audio folk, and at that point, there still weren't too many dialogue-specific team members on the dev side. Usually it was an audio person who was really more concerned with sound effects or music or right. a writer who didn't know anything about audio or potentially both right. were coming to the yeah. studio. And those people were <laughs> were almost always men. Yeah. And they were great. They were, I mean, audio people are my people. So it didn't really matter that much to me. And I, you know, going to school for audio, you're surrounded by guys as well. So... I think making the move from a recording studio to a developer, or publisher technically, but I was working with developers while I was at the publisher, there were rather suddenly a lot of men and very few women. Even though where I was at Sony Santa Monica, for most of my time with Sony, I was at Sony Santa Monica, they had one of the best sort of ratios of people employed by a developer of women to men. I mean, there were probably a good 25% of us were women. At the time, I think it was like 15% women to 85% men in video games in general. Yeah. There were a lot of producers and level designers that were women, and there are plenty of developers that don't have any in either of those positions. So, And I still keep in touch with a lot of those people, even though a lot of them have moved on from Sony, because it is really important to know that there are women doing those jobs and knowing where to point other people who want to do those jobs to find a mentor. 
it's not always easy on the dev side to be taken as a team member when you do have, you know, a kind of clicky group of guys who who just aren't exposed to working with women and, and it can be awkward even if there's no ill intent. Right. Well, and now as head of studio, it's almost the same situation at an entirely different level because even that role is still predominantly male-dominated, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but the thing is, it's funny, dialogue specifically tends to skew a little more feminine than a lot of the other areas of audio and business for games. For whatever reason, I haven't really dug too deep into it, but there are an awful lot of women in on the business side of, of dialogue stuff, like the, the ladies at Formosa that I get along with so well. There's Julia Scheffling, Erica Mahalo, there's myself, there's ladies at Sony, there's Leilani Ramirez. There are a lot of us that have all worked together for a really long time. And as far as the other the other sort of studios that are doing what we do specifically in L.A., there are a lot of guys, you know, Chippy Min runs Formosa along with Julia and uh, Bang Zoom and a few others. Although Cup of Tea is run by Danny is is another sort of woman in charge. So we're not doing a very good job of sort of answering the question, or, <laughs> which is which That's is okay. it's funny is it it's actually kind of impressive how many women there are in positions on this particular part of voiceover or this particular part of video games, depending on how you look at it. Sure, you know a lot of these people. I'm just curious, did any of them come? You know, like, were they actors or had they come through it like you did? Like, I'm going to do music. I'm going to do music. Oh, I love this. Uh, mm-hmm. This voiceover stuff is awesome. Or do you know? I think it's split between people who had a love for video games mm-hmm. and found voice acting mm-hmm. through I want to be involved with games somehow and found that versus the people who came through sort of the audio channels. Mm-hmm. Um, with the exception of if I'm leaving out sort of the voice directors, because a lot of the voice directors are either actors or people who are directors who found video games as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, um, but on the the sort of coordinators, the, you know, there's an awful lot of people who are audio people who realize that music often means waiting for someone to croak or retire yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and no, that you're never going to record the bands you want to record. You're just going to record the bands that are willing to pay you. And, right. you know, they look for other ways to be creative. And once you realize that this is a place that you can go, it's kind of hard to pass up because it really is the nice corner of mm-hmm. the industry. So do you have a music background? Yeah. But yes and no. <laughs> I have... <laughs> I realized at a young age through playing piano and playing clarinet and playing, you know, trying to play guitar that I did not have an aptitude for performing, mm-hmm. but that my love of and appreciation for and understanding of music was there, which is why I went to school for what I was trying to go to school for recording for mm-hmm. sound engineering in general. Mm-hmm. And... Just to be, again, to be a part of something, even though I'm not necessarily, I don't have the aptitude to do it. And it's the same sort of with voiceover. Like, I'm not a voice actor. I'm not talented in that respect. But I love being a part of it so much that I've figured out a way to take what I am good at, which is organizing things Mm -hmm. and turning that into being able to organize things for voiceover for games. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Did you you ever sing? Because you sound like you've got a voice that you could. Oh, 
No, I sing in the car, but I was never. <laughs> that's that's flattering. <laughs> I like that. Oh, thank you. Oh, no, my. I don't sing. I'm, I'm Not blushing. at all. No, no I love belting out a great song, and I love, I've actually always had a really good time if, uh, if anybody ever needed some temp efforts. I can ah. I can scream like crazy and I can I can do that kind of stuff. I even did um I don't want to get in trouble with the union, but when I was working on uh, God of War three, there is a sex mini game in that game and I was the dialogue supervisor on the project. And I got a bug at like two in the morning as we were completing production that in the sex mini game, which was it was a couple of women watching the sex minigame happen, right? So they were they were supposed to be, you know, watching something racy happen. And if you failed the sex minigame, they made sad faces. Like, oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> of course they did. So it, something like <laughs> two or three in the morning on, you know, who knows, maybe it was a Saturday. I don't know. At that point, we were working crazy hours. I got a microphone in my office and sat there and watched the, the fail animation a few times and made, oh, like just... <laughs> disappointed noises and then sat there essentially questioning what I've done with my life. <laughs> As I did that, I was like, well, hey, mom, look at me now. <laughs> but once you once you hit Aphrodite's palace, it's it's all signs point to. Wow. Yeah. The, the things we do. Yeah. For the projects we love, because that was my baby. Was that your favorite game that you worked on, or what? What's your favorite game? You know, my favorite. My it might be my favorite game. It's definitely my favorite game that I've worked on, and part of that was because it holds my blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, and so there might be a little Stockholm syndrome in there, but sure. <laughs> um, it was the it was the game I saw through from start to finish. I did. I was you know responsible party, and it was a really fun game. It had it had everything. It had. All the great violence. It had the Greek mythology, which of course all the games do. But it, you know, it had some great acting. It was really well written. Like I really loved working on that game, but I also learned a lot about crunch and working yourself too hard and sort of the ways that the industry has gone astray in trying to keep itself going. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a double edged sword because I loved that game. I loved the product. I don't think I played it after it came out because I played the shit out of it when I was testing and working on it for oh, so yeah, long. And sure. I, think I, sure. I think I gave it to my, my boyfriend at the time and he put it in and I was like, hurt. Nope, can't do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I started just reciting the opening monologue, like the Zeus you know, thing. And I was like, nope, I'm not ready for this yet. <laughs> um, I think my favorite game, which is, this is very awkward to say, on a voiceover-related podcast, but my favorite game to date is Night in the Woods, which didn't have any dialogue. It was a little indie game that came out last year, mm-hmm. and it's outstanding as because it was very well-written, and if it had had dialogue, I'm sure it would have been great because the writing was outstanding. You know, I look at games like Papers, Please, for instance, which has no VO and, you know, Flower. Now, granted, the score for that is in some ways the audio star. Yeah, I think it's okay. I think it's okay to be, you know, to say, "Oh, this is what I do," and go, "Yeah." And there are games that don't have what I do in there, and I can really like them in there. You know, actually see the, you know, the value and the beauty of them because it's all about fun and entertainment. It's not necessarily about we have to include all these elements. Yeah, I don't know that I'm kind of like you. I think any game that I ever put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into, I just I I don't play them. I can't. We've talked a lot about dev side. What about the voice acting side? Do you miss it? How is it different now that you're actually head of a studio? 
Well, I get the sort of the best of both worlds because uh, we have sort of an open office area here, which means I get to see all the actors as they're coming in to do sessions while I'm working on spreadsheets and budgets and quotes and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I at least get the interaction with the creative people. I do miss being in session a bit because I don't, you know, direct anymore. I'm not coordinating. I'm not sort of sitting in and determining how the voiceover is done. But again, I think my time in the booth allows me to do a better job of being out of the booth so that I can put the right people together. So spending enough time in the booth meant that I know the kind of director that gets along with the kind of creative director on a specific kind of game and and be able to figure out how to put those people together to make the, the best possible team to get the job done. I miss... I do miss being in the booth, being in the control room. I was never in the booth. In fact, today is one of the longest time I think I've ever spent in the booth <laughs> is recording this podcast. There you go. Um, but in the in the control room, I do miss uh, the camaraderie. You end up being sort of – you are locked in a room together. Yeah. And you get to know people pretty well. <laughs> do you get the chance to uh, recommend talent ever? Are you ever asked that in your role now? Well, sometimes I <laughs> – I will – offer that kind of information unsolicited on occasion uh, if I feel very strongly because, you know, I have had the pleasure of working with dozens and dozens of talented actors and up-and-coming actors uh, here in L.A. So occasionally a job will come through and I'll just throw names out just because I get excited about it, even if I have not been asked for that information. But, um, you know, we do, I do participate in the casting process here. We're a small crew. So, you know, when a job comes in and we're starting to brainstorm, um, my production manager starting to brainstorm of who to bring in. And I, I definitely butt my nose into that work because, because I love the actors and I love the idea of trying to figure out who might be able to do what, or what aren't we thinking of? Who's, kind of outside the box. They might have a thing that they do, but, oh, wouldn't it be cool if they could do this other thing? That kind of stretch goals for actors on their behalf kind of deal. <laughs> a lot of times in my world, I, I can bring it up, but I don't necessarily have the ability, I should say the word authority, suggest, hey, I know that you cast this kind of, you're asking for this kind of a character description. How about that? Because I think to people who are doing it, it's like, well, I've been working on this, you know, for a year or whatever the time frame is, mm -hmm. and now we're going to do it like this kid. Your situation might be a little bit different. Do you ever get, or do you have people on your team that can go, look, I know that they wanted X, Y, Z on this, but hey, look, all the dwarves speak Scottish. What if this dwarf didn't? True. I think I actually respect the developer on those types of things. And I think that comes from being on the dev side. Mm -hmm. But again, I was on the dev side at a very large company with a decent amount of money. Right. Who had, I mean, not every game had the same amount of money. Um, so not every game got the like AAA treatment, even though I was at Sony. But Sure, of course. But they're the people who are deciding who their characters are and how they are, and having those meetings, and dealing with the writers, they spend a lot of time doing that. And I think at the dev side is the time mm -hmm. to be doing that. And once you get to the vendor side, I feel like it's my goal is to provide you 
what you are looking for. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't know what you're looking for and you ask for guidance, then yeah, I know either myself or I know plenty of people who I compare you with, like directors, to discover that. But when if I get a character description and they tell me they want another 30-something white guy with a non-discernible accent, I'm going to – I'm going to – for my own sanity, I'm going to try and find somebody who right. who is new, who might have a fresh take, but I'm not going to talk you out of it because right. I'm sure you have a very good reason for for going in that direction. Well, and that's always been my philosophy too because it's like, well, they're my client. And so, you know, there are times that I have looked at things that I that I go, man, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure that this is the right way to do it, but I don't say anything because yeah. just for that reason. And I didn't know if maybe you kind of, because side's a bigger company, because, um, you know, if, if maybe you felt like you had at times more authority, maybe even with a small dev to come and say, hey, I just want to throw this out to you as an idea. What do you think? And then if they shoot you down, you're like, okay, great, done. That was something that I would do when I was at Sony. Mm-hmm. When I was a, a talent casting person within the company and they were hiring me for that specific expertise within the company, right. I would definitely go and be like, does this have to be a dude? Yeah. Like, there's so many dudes. Can we just have like <laughs> one female character? And, you know, of course, that's at the that's way early in the process or if it's just a voice only character, like obviously the pipeline of animation sometimes precludes a lot of that stuff. So, right. but. I definitely made it a point to point out like, hey, this looks a lot like everything else looks. Can we change it up a little bit? But my current role is here's a director who you are going to work with closely to discover who these characters are. Mm -hmm. That director will hopefully build a rapport with you in a way that might offer an opportunity for you to explore something like that amongst yourselves. Mm I'm like a step removed from that. But if I can see, you know, that someone is floundering with trying to figure out who their characters are or what kind of tone they want the story and the performance to take, then my creative input is basically saying this is the director that's going to be able to pull that out of you and help you figure out what you can't figure out how to say. Brian, can we just call this episode So Many Dudes? I think that would just be awesome. So Many Dudes. (laughs) So many dudes. <laughs> so many dudes. So many dudes, so little time. How about that? So- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a different that's a different thing. That's- oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> that goes back to some stories we really probably shouldn't be sharing right now. <laughs> what kind of work primarily do you take in at side? Well, we have a lot of obviously game VO. Uh, that's our specialty. Our primary focus is award-winning character performances for games. That's that's our bread and butter. But we also do uh, work for tech companies. We do occasional like voiceover and mixing for commercials and things like that. We've been doing a lot of work for long-form IVR type work. It's just what happens to be at our doorstep. But we also do um, Japanese to English uh, localization, casting and recording, because our parent company, Pull to Win specializes in translation and LQA and testing for a lot of localization and domestic. And they're Japanese-based, right? Yes. Poltuin is a Japanese company that has global presence. So we have offices in Bangalore, India, Glasgow, uh, all over the world. And then uh, Side is the audio production brand within the company. So we have Side London, who have been doing this for 20 years and then Side LA, who's brand new. We've just been open a year. And then there's also Side Shanghai in 
Shanghai, and uh, they've been open for a couple of years. Do you find that with Pole to Win and their cultural things that you've had to really kind of work with or or things that you translated from Sony, you had to learn them at Sony, and um, or is it because it's side that it's the UK that you are normally dealing with and and therefore it's kind of more of a Western culture and it's not really, you know, much of a, oh, I got to watch my P's and Q's on this. It's funny. Sony taught me a lot about working with Japanese clients and working for a Japanese company. So even though I, you know, at the beginning of my time with Sony, didn't really interact with too many people too high up. And I also wasn't dealing with any Japanese developers at the time. It felt like a very American situation. Mm -hmm. Partially because I didn't know any better, but it was actually running in a very, you know, the corporate culture trickled down, if you will, was very sort of Japanese. And I didn't really realize that that was the case. It was just, you know, you're just growing up in a household. Mm So that's what you know, and it's normal. When I left Sony and came to Side, it's funny that the learning curve was actually dealing with the European developers. Really? Because I had never done that. So I feel very at home adjusting to working with a Japanese client and the language and the cultural allowances, if you will, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just, just shifting gears to present myself in a way that is more friendly to that type of client. Mm-hmm. But it took me a while to get used to some of the, uh, there are European developers that are very blunt mm-hmm. and very to the point, which I enjoy. That's the kind of person I am. I prefer to know what you need and, and when you need it and can I do it? And the answer is yes, of course, and just get to work. Mm-hmm. But the cultural difference is it's so funny how even in LA, because L- Hollywood is its own culture, right? Like we have a completely different vernacular, I guess, to even New York or Austin for communicating even about talent matters. Sure. You know what I mean? Like Hollywood is very Hollywood. (laughs) Well, you know, and that's funny because I was an engineer in both L.A. and New York. And, you know, in L.A., it was like, can you brighten that up, crisp it up just kind of in the, you know, upper mids just a little bit. And then when I was an engineer in New York, they're like, um, Add plus three dB at two point seven K. Yep. Okay, it's the same thing. It's just right. two different ways yeah. of talking about it. Yep, it's very true. Uh, and I'm so LA now, while still being very Midwest in the way I uh, approach things, that it took a little while. I think overall, just through my career, not just uh, at side, to realize that that it wasn't universal and that there are a lot of different ways to approach the same problem, even when you're just talking about the language use. I'm going to open up a can of worms. You said that you love listening to voice actors and sometimes can recommend a voice actor if the situation's appropriate. How do you feel running a studio about people sending unsolicited demos or, you know, emails with, hey, here's here's my website, things like that for voice actors? There's a fine line because... There's no other way for me to find new talent without it, but I have at least three people who are wildly inappropriate uh, in terms of calling the studio multiple times or sending emails to my personal email account because they figured out what it was. And that kind of thing is a surefire way to know that I will tell other people not to hire you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not only are you not getting hired by me, but I'm going to make damn sure that you don't get hired by anyone else because that is stalkery and rude and weird and knock it off. 
But people who act like stable human beings who are trying to conduct a business, I will absolutely receive. And when I find the time, listen to your demo. I might not have feedback mm -hmm. because it's often difficult to start a dialogue with someone when the other person has a vested interest in continuing the conversation and I don't. Yeah. If I want to provide feedback, I will. Mm -hmm. So hopefully you'll just take my lack of feedback as a, a silent positive and go about your day. And if it is positive, <laughs> then you'll hear from me. That's a great approach. I, I feel in the position I am currently in, if I want to start a dialogue with someone, I will figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. If someone wants to start a dialogue with me, there are a few you know, kind of steps that you can take to get to the point where I'll be open to it. Right. But having a website and figuring out how to, you know, connect with me or, or pay to get an email in front of me is is not going to be the way to do it. And the truth is that I, I'm sympathetic mm -hmm. to voice actors or game devs or audio people or anyone who's trying to figure out how to how to make connections because we all know that networking is the most important part of being able to do the job you want to do. So what's appropriate? What's appropriate? Um, to be, this is going to sound, it sounds crappy sometimes when I say this because I, I do occasionally, you know, teach and do workshops and stuff. And the reason people are there is to, you know, hear you say things like what's appropriate. And to a degree, what's appropriate is having your materials available and in a very tasteful way, making sure that people who are available to hire you know that you exist without being pushy, Right, which is so vague. But what I don't like, I don't like getting an email from someone who I have no connection mm -hmm. to. So what's appropriate, you know, there are certain levels, I guess, which is why I started by saying it sounds kind of shitty, is you will do a certain amount of work before you get to the point where it is appropriate for me to exchange my card with you. Right. And that's not going to be, I decided to be a voice actor yesterday and paid to get a demo. Like, you're going to find your way in front of someone like me or like you, Randy, probably mm -hmm. after you've done the workshops, after you've had a coach who told you that you're probably ready to make a demo. Right. After you decided to pay the monthly fee to have your website up that hosts the three different demos you have. By then, it's appropriate to reach out to someone like me and say, I'm here if you need me. Right. But doing it before that is a waste of both of our time. Do the work, then the work will come to you because you already did the work and I don't worry that I'm going to have to train you or I'm going to have to worry about you emailing me every six months saying, hey, don't forget, I have a stunt reel that you should totally look at, which happens. <laughs> See, the, the thing that's really interesting is that the business from the, from the voice actor side is changing dramatically. A lot of it has to do with uh, the pay-to-play sites and now the merger mm -hmm. of voices with VoiceBank and the role of the agent is really shifting dramatically. Mm -hmm. And the ability to go out and independently market yourself is now a really critical skill if you're going to continue to be a working voice actor, right? But it used to be different because you were in a local market. Mm -hmm. And with the advent of the internet and online auditions and everything else, you went from competing against maybe 20 people for a job or 40 people for a job to competing against literally over a thousand people for a job. And almost every time you submit an audition. And so to go ahead and get yourself 
in front of people who might be able to take a listen and go, hey, I really like that part out of that guy. I'm going to remember this person or I'm going to maybe have a quick phone call with this person and put them in a consideration pool. That's really the best advantage you can have nowadays as a voice actor. Again, there's always that fine line, that balance, right? And so I think that's kind of one of the things that in, in the voice acting circles is a really big, really prominent concern. Mm-hmm. There are people who are new in the voice acting world who actually think you can make a living doing voiceover for video games, which is just not true. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can make some beer money <laughs> doing voiceover for video games. I was going to say, once in a while, you can actually upgrade to cocktails. <laughs> exactly. But for the most part, like, the people who really love doing voice for video games are doing it for lo- the love of the work and not for the money that comes along with it or the, even the notoriety because it's really rare because so many, you know, if you're looking at the number of voices that it takes to get a AAA game out there, there are only a few people who's, who become voice actor famous. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them are grateful for that half day of work and that's that's the only game they did that week and then they go home and do audiobooks and e-learning and the really grueling thankless, throat-crushing stuff. <laughs> you paint such a pretty picture. I don't know why there's not more voice actors. It's, uh... No. It's, well, that's just it because the people, the people who are doing it anyway, the people who are like, yeah, and what about it? Those people are true professionals that are usually a total joy to work with because they, they're doing it because they love it, not because, you know, of the money. Oh, yeah, like of it's, course. It's really inspiring to meet some of the people who who do make a living as a voice actor, even in Hollywood, who aren't necessarily on a couple of animated series that pay pretty well, but the ones that are just hustling. And they're in the door and they're happy to see you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're happy for the work. We'll see you next time. You know, and those are the people that you think of to go back to the beginning of the conversation. Those are the people that you think of when the client goes, I'm not sure what I should do with this role. As you end up going back to like, you know who was in here a couple weeks ago who just lit up the place Mm -hmm. and also did a great job as in the booth. But the person I want to hang out with, in addition to being great for the role... Mm-hmm. I'm just going to think of that person, even even if we're not really the right personality type, but someone who brings intensity or who is grateful for the opportunity to be a part of this crazy industry, because I am, and I don't expect anybody else to be any other way. Like, I'm eternally grateful to get to do this kind of work in a place like this with the people I get to do. So yeah. attitude ends up being a a pretty big part of it, even if it's difficult to quantify. Jackie, it's been an absolute blast. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for uh, thinking of me. And uh, thanks for the amazing and thoughtful conversation. Jackie Sladek loves what she does and the people she works with. Our thanks to Jackie for sharing her insights on playing in the wonderful world of audio. If you're fortunate enough to record a session at Side LA, say hello. You'll get to see how awesome she is in person. Let's Talk VoiceOver is hosted by Randy Ryan, owner of Hamsterball Studios, voice, music, and sound design, and Brian Talbot, actor and all-around creative guy. That's me. If you have comments, questions, ideas for other show topics you'd be interested in hearing, or you just want to let us know what you think, you can reach us by sending an email to bt at letstalkvoiceover.com. 
or go to our website at www.letstalkvoiceover.com. That's letstalkvoiceover.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite media app so you don't miss an episode. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk VoiceOver. We'll talk again real soon.